Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, I encourage you to open your Bibles or uh, turn on your Bible or pull the Bible out of the pew rack in front of you as we look together in the Gospel of Luke. At Luke chapter uh, 8, verses 40 to 56, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You know, when you're preaching one of your favorite passages of Scripture, you almost don't want to do it because you know you're not going to give it what it deserves, and then you know you don't get to preach it again for a long time. But let's look together at a, a wonderful moment in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, a ministry to us, a life-giving grace. Open our hearts to receive your living word for our salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus sometimes comes early. Jesus sometimes shows up late. 
but Jesus is always right on time. If it's all about timing, it's good to know the Lord of time. Our third child, Peter, was due the first week of December. And uh, we had it all planned out. That fall, I was running hard to recover my PhD program from a year uh, away with the Army. And Abigail was chasing after our first two kids and working hard. We had no time to prepare. So the plan was to go out on Thanksgiving weekend and get the whole nursery set up in one day. This would be easy. We knew what we needed. We'd done it before. No problem. But Peter arrived on November 15th. (laughs) When Abigail said to me, the baby is coming, I said, no, it's not. (laughs) We're not ready. And on the way to the hospital, I was running through the list of things we didn't have. No onesies, no diapers, no bottles, no blankets. We had a crib, but I hadn't had a chance to put it together yet. And we didn't even have a car seat. And remembering uh, what it was like to leave the hospital with the child in the past, I literally was scared that we were going to be charged by the hospital staff with some kind of reckless parenting. So I said to Abigail, do you think we should pull into Toys R Us on the way? She didn't find that funny. God's timing and my timing don't always add up. They don't always come together. But God's timing is always right. Amen? Today we see a day when Jesus' timing and the disciples' timing did not exactly match up. The Gospel of Luke once again lines up the powerless and the powerful right next to each other. And the disciples want Jesus to address the powerful. Jesus takes time to address the powerless. But in the end... There's enough time for both. There's plenty of time. And that tells us something about the kingdom of God, doesn't it? In our lives, it feels like there's no time. Urgency can be a tyrant. In the kingdom of God, there is plenty of time. But the real lesson is in the heart today. Jesus reveals in this episode that he not only hears, but he feels. If we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be Jesus' followers, we must grow to have ears to hear and hearts to feel. Uh, Don Everts is a pastor, eco-pastor, and an author in Missouri, and he writes this in his book, Go and Do, Becoming a Missional Christian. He writes, an interior change is unavoidable once a Christian starts to get caught up in God's work. When you see the needs of the world with sober eyes, when you humbly serve with servant hands, when your ready feet take you into various places where God is at work, your heart begins to change. This is unavoidable. To have 
Compassion is, is literally to suffer with. That's what compassion means from its Latin root. Even when Jesus, you see, was rushing and, and busy, getting pushed by the crowd in urgency, through busy days of ministry, we see that people mean more than agenda. We see that pain draws his response, and we see that his heart is open to feel and to have compassion, to suffer with. Uh, Last week you heard the great adventure across the sea as Jesus took his disciples across the waters to the Gentile side, to the foreign side of the Sea of Galilee, and he healed the Gerasene demoniac. You remember with all those terrible pigs, all those horrible pigs, and all those godless pagans over on that wrong side of the water, you see. And, and now they're back on Jewish soil. I want you to feel the relief of the disciples in this moment. You see, they felt like Jonah in Nineveh over there. How long are we going to be stuck in this godless land? They were wondering, why is our guy spending all this time and energy to heal some godless pagan over here in the godless world? You see, how long will I stand on foreign soil? And now they're back. Ah, thank God. It wasn't long. And now things really start to pick up. In fact, a great leader in the synagogue named Jairus has taken notice and he's asked even a favor of Jesus. He needs something of Jesus and it's something that Jesus can provide. His daughter is ill and he wants Jesus to heal the daughter and the disciples think, ooh, from what I've seen of Jesus, this is an easy one. He's gonna be able to do this right away. He's gonna heal that girl and once their man heals the daughter of the synagogue president, oh, it's off to the races. Power and influence and cultural pace setting It's finally happening, right? But Jesus has different plans. The woman and the man, two different people, two different lives, one with power, the other powerless, one rich and famous, the other destitute and unknown, but their pain is the same. And Jesus, with ears to hear and a heart of compassion, Jesus has time for both. So let's begin with the woman. Uh, We don't get her name, but we get her story. For 12 years, she has suffered a malady of bleeding. And we can only imagine how it has overtaken her life. One day it began And then year after year after year, it made her life worse and worse, forcing her into isolation and poverty. Isolation because uh, the illness made her ritually unclean in the law of the temple. In Leviticus uh, 15, for example, you could read. You see, in the ancient world, you know, in a world without Purell. Thank God for Purell, right? 
In a world uh, without running water, without germ theory, without antibiotics or modern medicine, in that world, health was a precious commodity and it had to be defended at all costs. But this woman, what it meant for her is that she could never touch another human being. She was in a prison of isolation and poverty. She spent all of her resources trying to find health, trying to find someone who could cure her of this, take this out of her life. Every resource exhausted, every relationship taxed. She was alone, destitute, helpless, and hopeless. And along came Jesus. And what did she think? What went through her mind We don't know, but it clearly was not uh, uh, direct and forthright and complete Judeo-Christian doctrine, you know. She didn't know all of that. What she knew was that something in her longed to be well, something in her knew that Jesus was a source of healing. So in an act stemming probably more from Hellenistic superstition than the way of the Lord, she, she reached out to touch his cloak. She thought, I know he can't. I know he won't turn to touch me. But if I can only touch his cloak, let me remain hidden and unknown, she thought. But if I can touch just a bit, and she reached the reach, the desperation, and the touch, and the flood of energy. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Have you touched Jesus? Have you felt his touch in your life? He's here by the power of the Holy Spirit. She reached out and and she touched his cloak and all of a sudden a flood of health, a flood of love, an overwhelming wave of grace flows into her body and she feels it. She feels sickness gone. She feels health and strength and, and vigor filling her up. Finally, an end to the suffering. Jesus is here. Amen. But see, for Jesus, it isn't about magic. It's about relationship. And so he turns. Where is this woman? I've been touched. I want to know her. I want to look her in the eyes. I want to hear her whole story. See, as one commentator I read said, he he didn't turn to correct her. He didn't stomp out the smoldering wick of her confused and desperate faith. No, he, he turns and lovingly fans that faith into flame. Where are you? Come out and see me. Let me see you. Step forward. The woman wants to remain hidden, you see. But Jesus pulls her out of isolation and into relationship. He pulls her out of the shadows and into the community of faith. She will never be unknown and alone again. Why? Because Jesus has a heart to feel great pain, to suffer with, and to heal. But don't forget that that to the disciples... 
And to the crowds pressing in, and certainly to Jairus and all of his attendants, this whole thing is a ridiculous interruption. It's an unworthy and unwelcomed delay. Jairus was the exact opposite of this unknown woman. Where she was unclean and unwelcome, he was the synagogue president. Where she was known for relying on others, he was known for providing for others. Where she was the picture of illness, he was a picture of strength and of health. But Jairus was in pain. For the same number of years that the woman suffered, Jairus watched his little girl grow. Year by year, she made it through the dangerous years of infancy and early childhood, but now, just as she was approaching maturity, an illness captured her, and she was going to die. And Jairus, Jairus, say that name with me, Jairus, for all of his power, for all of his influence, he had no power or no influence to make his daughter well. And he came to Jesus and he hit his knees and he begged, pleading with him. Do we think we're so different? Those who have power and those who don't. Is it really true? Should we really believe it that the influencers and the power holders are are a different people from the marginalized and the powerless? Shall we separate these two people off as though they are two forms of humanity and pit them against one another? As as though there are two uh, different ontological forms of human existence? Jesus didn't. Look again at Jairus on his knees. See his fine garments torn and dusty as he grovels before the rabbi in the dirt see his tears and his, his blubbering sobs, know his helplessness. There is no difference. Only two human beings in great pain longing to know that God is good. A new friend came to my office a couple of weeks ago, sat down to speak with me. She's been a member here for 35 years. Who can beat her? Probably a few of you, yep. And, and I asked her, as I would anybody, um, what do you like about your church? And she said this. She said, I'm amazed at how one church can serve so many different people coming from so many walks of life and, and lead them to Jesus. Beautiful. Me too, I said. And I recalled how just a couple of days prior I'd been preaching and noticed as I looked out on the congregation a man who's a retired CEO sitting just a few seats away from a man that I know happens to be without a home right now. Should we set Jairus and the woman against each other? Jesus didn't. Jesus had a heart to feel the deep pain to move into it and to bring salvation right on time. Well, we know how it goes and I won't rehearse the rest of the story. Jesus heals the girl and as usual, there's so much else we could speak about. The wailing and the unbelief of the people, those mourners who laughed at Jesus. 
the privilege of Peter, James, and Paul to come in with the parents into that place of sanctity and power. The power of Jesus over death, the experience of the girl uh, who went from death to life. But I think today we're settled with this truth, this truth, listen now. Jesus has a heart to feel the pain we feel. Rich or poor, strong or weak, famous or forgotten, your soul stands in need before Jesus and he can bring salvation. So the challenge for application for us this morning is this. Do we have a heart to feel? If we want to grow to be Christ-like, and that's what the word Christian means, we're Christians. If we want to be Christ-like, if we want to emulate Jesus, if we want to imitate him, if we want to be more like Jesus as we grow and mature as his followers and disciples, then we're going to need to learn how to not only hear, but how to feel. I want to ask myself, how am I doing at hearing and feeling the pain. You see, open ears lead to open hearts. And a connection that listens becomes a heart connection. We will not only hear, but we'll feel the needs and the pains of others. You know, in our times, uh, we live in, in kind of a bell jar. We live in an echo chamber. Do you know that? If I go to watch the news... I watch the news channel uh, that tells me, provides me with the perspective I already have. And every story, every uh, story that rolls out just serves to validate the beliefs I already hold about my world events and politics. The podcasts I listen to on my phone, they're all pastors. They're all, in fact, evangelical pastors. My friends are all Christians. In fact, they're mostly Presbyterian. (laughs) Now that happens to Presbyterian ministers. I'm not as weird as you think. But I'm in a bell jar. If I want to, I can live my whole life and never have to hear or be exposed at all to any story or event or fact to cross the grain of my already well-developed view of the world around me. It's great, isn't it? It really is. It's nice. But it's small. It's very, very small. Long ago, a pastor named Basil of Caesarea challenged a group of monks in now uh, what is central Turkey. See, they had resolved that the best way to stay holy was to separate themselves out of the world. Entirely. And so they established their monastery high on a mountain. And for some of them, that wasn't enough. So they left the monastery and they sat in isolation in caves or in stone hives that they built up around themselves. And Basil challenged them to come back to the city. God wired us up, he said, to depend on one another. We're wired up not only for a relationship with God, but for relationships with one another. You want to be like Jesus? He challenged them. You want to be holy? You want to be like Jesus? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Once you are alone, 
Whose feet will you wash? So he challenged them to come back. Here's how he wrote it. Here's how we have it from him. Consider that the Lord, by reason of his excessive love for man, was not content with merely teaching the word, but so as to transmit to us clearly and exactly the example of humility and the perfection of love. He girded himself and washed the feet of the disciples, whom therefore will you wash, to whom will you minister, in comparison with whom will you be the lowest if you live alone. I hope you're following me. You might say, Pastor, my prayer life, my prayer life is drying up. You might not need another conference or retreat or class on prayer. You might need to rub against some genuine need and brokenness. You might say, Pastor, uh, I'm not sure how to share the gospel with the worldly. I'm not sure how to overcome their philosophy of life and get Jesus in there. Well, you might not need another set of training or another skill set. What you might need is to be a friend to your neighbor until there is a genuine heart connection. Your friend might be the only gospel, you might be the only gospel your friend ever reads. Have you ever heard that? You might be the only gospel that a non-Christian ever reads. Are you willing, are you open to feel their pain in your heart? You say, I'm not sure I'm making a difference in the world. Well, you you might not need to change a career or a, a vocation. You might just need to get into the world, down into the world where it's messy and see how God makes a difference. Break the bell jar. Smash the echo chamber and pray for a heart that feels. And finally this morning, finally, friends, remember, friends, remember Jesus calls you out of isolation and into relationship with him and with others. Jairus was not embarrassed to hit his knees in front of the crowd. The woman was hidden and ashamed, but Jesus pulled her out from the shadows. And so, are you openly following Christ? Are you open with Jesus this morning? Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Belief, faith, trust in Jesus. Jesus isn't a magician. He's a personal Lord and Savior. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, Do you seek healing? Do you seek wholeness? Do you seek wellness, salvation? Do you seek to know that your soul is held firmly in safe places for eternity? I always remember how Billy Graham would close his crusades as he was calling people to come forward and make a public commitment to Christ. And he would say, if Jesus Christ would die publicly on the cross 
for you and for your sins, then you can stand publicly for him. Will you come out of the crowd, come out of the hiddenness, and trust in Jesus? Will you be open with Christ? Will you follow him openly before those around you? Trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will not let you be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the beauty of this moment. Lord, for the way you moved through the crowds, for the way you responded with healing, for the way that you draw us out of hiddenness and isolation and into relationship and joy and everlasting life. So Lord Jesus, open our hearts. Give us courage to reach out and to touch you. Give us humility to hit our knees before you as we put our whole faith and our whole trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.